a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Great to have you along. Inside Sources today. I'm Doug Wright, uh, filling in for the next couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. And I heard a story the other day, and when I, I heard it, I thought, oh my goodness. Anytime there's something out on the water, whether it's uh, Great Salt Lake, whether it's Utah Lake, wherever it is, and we have people that are in a degree of peril, to say the least, I, I, I always get riveted to those stories. And Well, the Great Salt Lake is an interesting place for anybody who's spent any time at all on the Great Salt Lake, and many Utahns have not. I've talked to Utahns who have never set foot uh, or stuck a toe in the Great Salt Lake, but when I heard the story of these uh, individuals that were out there kayaking and how uh, weather came up and uh, caused a real tough situation, I thought, boy, I'd like to know more about what happened on that. And we have Weston Barnett who's 20 years of age, and I, I love this, Weston. You were described by rescuers as the dude in the tube. Oh, yeah. You're the dude in the tube, man. Yeah. Maybe you could take us back to what happened that day. Was this just an excursion with you and your friends? Yeah, just me and my buddies. One of my buddies, Ryan, hit me up. He's like, dude, I have an epic adventure next week. you yeah. got to come. I was like, all right. So I had no idea what I was getting into. So we left on Tuesday, and we uh, paddled towards one island, and then slept, and then Wednesday we went to another island, then Thursday when it happened, we were headed, it was like a 15-mile day that day we had to kayak, and uh, we were going across, and the kayak that I was riding in, for whatever reason, it kept turning towards the waves, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't fix this, so they were way up ahead of me, and they stopped, and I eventually caught up to them, they're like, dude, these waves are getting too big, because I was thinking the same thing, they're like, we need to bail and go to Antelope Island, because then we could have someone come pick us up. And we started going, but I had to go backwards. And these waves just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I mean, it's can't, like, from the other perspective, if someone was trying to tell me how big the waves were, I wouldn't be able to believe them unless you see it. Like, they say seven or eight foot waves, but these things, if I was standing on the ground and it was like a frozen wave, I would have had to jump to touch the top. Wow. That always amazes me because I see the, the Great Salt Lake. And again, I've never really sailed on it at all. I've been around the Great Salt Lake, yes. I've even been in the Great Salt Lake, but nothing like this where I'm out in a small you know, craft. I've been on some of the islands. Uh, they still call it Stansbury Island, although it hasn't been an island for a long time. And it's arguably even Antelope Island now isn't much of an island at all. And I cannot imagine a wave that big. And how did what, what, winds? What kind of weather were you in? Well, uh, at the beginning, like it probably started to get really bad around like 
3 p.m. It was just super windy. The wind was blowing uh, south the whole time, most for the most part, like southwest. And uh, we were just like, there wasn't rain or anything. I could see the clouds coming off from the north. Like I could see them forming. So I knew that's what the storm was coming from. We didn't think it was going to hit till the next day. So it was just, I mean, it was a clear day. It wasn't super hot and the water was really cold, mm-hmm. but it wasn't not really many clouds yet. So you mentioned uh, your your friend wanted this to be some kind of an epic adventure, and you were going to go island hopping, basically, on the Great Salt Lake. And which, which Do you know which islands you were actually on? Was it Fremont, Bird Island? Where were you? We were uh, we started on Stansbury, yeah. and then we went up to... So you went out through Tooele and drove out? Were yeah. Were you out on the point? Yeah, we started on the point of Stansbury, and then we went to... Uh, Starts with a C. If you wouldn't ask me, I would have totally known the name of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Starts with a C. Uh, it's the one where Kit Carson carved the the cross on there. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to get my island straight. Anyway, you went to a, how far was that island from that, Stansbury? That island was a five mile. Well, we actually paddled the wrong way the first time. We hopped over a causeway, and it was you know, no more water. We think it's Carrington. Carrington, island. that's the island it is. Thanks to our producer thanks. Robin on that one. I went brain dead too on that one. Yeah, thanks. And then we were going we we're going across to Fremont just to go check it out and then we we're going to head to Antelope that way we didn't have to paddle the fifth or it would have been 18 straight back towards my truck. Right. So, so do you guys have a lot of experience as kayakers? Are you yeah, this was just a hairball idea you decided to do? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I kayaked at Boy Scouts once, if that counts. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. So not a lot of real heavy-duty experience in the kayak. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. That was a lot. He's like, dude, it's going to be over a marathon of kayaking. I was like, I mean, I'm down to try. Yeah. But I was not prepared, but it was fun. <laughs> so how much, with, with you being gone for several days, how much equipment did you take along? Um, So we had... Like right when we started, we had our kayaks and then we had these blow up tubes. I got them at Walmart for like two bucks. Yeah. They're like Ozark trail tubes. Turns out those are good luck tubes. Yeah. Dude in the tube, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So we had those we were pulling. We had each had five gallons of water, which was an overkill, but we were better safe than sorry. Yeah. And then some food and I just had clothes and they both had tents. And we were just pulling our tube behind our kayak with our like clothes and food in it. And that's how we were just getting around. So we didn't have anything besides like clothes and food and tents and water. Nothing crazy. Yeah. I- interesting. So when you camped on the various islands, did you just kind of kick back and, uh, I mean, sleeping bags, stuff like that? They had sleeping bags, but I mean, I didn't. I usually, I don't mean, I don't sleep at my house very often. I'm always out sleeping somewhere and I just kind of got used to not having a sleeping bag. So I just curled up in a ball in the dirt. Yeah. All did a day. Interesting. So the first couple of days, it was just fairly routine. Did you get into the groove of kayaking? Did you feel fairly comfortable with it at that point? Yeah. I mean, my kayak was definitely, like I said, it was pulling towards the waves. So the day we were going to Carrington, the waves were coming on my right side. So the whole time I was paddling like extra on the right side. Right. Just to try to stay straight. But yeah, I mean, we were getting used to it. My forearms are starting to get sore, but. Well, I want to come back after this uh, brief break, and I'd like to, Weston Barnett is our guest. He's 20 years of age, and he was one of the three who uh, out there on the Great Salt Lake during that storm and uh, was rescued. You are known as the dude in the tube. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about what went wrong, what happened, what the rescue was like, 
And you were telling me that you've even been out there and you found some of your stuff. So we'll get into all of that with our continuing conversation. Weston Barnett is our guest right here on Inside Sources today. I'm Doug Wright filling in. Stay with us, and we'd love to hear your comments, too. Maybe you have uh, some experience in a kayak on the Great Salt Lake. We'd love to hear of your adventures as well, and that's on the Utah Community Credit Union text line at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're, we're swapping weird stories here. You know, we should actually, no, my story we shouldn't put on the air. We're going to keep your story on the air. We're delighted to have Weston Barnett uh, with us. And first of all, we're glad you're here. Second of all, I mean, physically yeah. here. And we're, we're glad you join us here at KSL. And many times we'll hear these reports on the news. And I've always found that it's interesting uh, when the dust settles a little bit, or in this case, the water tames down a little bit to talk about what indeed did happen and get more of the details. So we've talked about the adventure and the excursion that your friends and you, there were three of you did kind of island hopping on the Great Salt Lake, the storm that came up, waves that are almost inconceivable. And then what happened? When when did you first realize we're not just in trouble, we're in big trouble, maybe life-threatening trouble? Um, I guess, so after we said let's go to the island, me and my buddy started going, and Ryan and Jacob my other two buddies, they went ahead of me because they had better kayaks, and I was stuck going backwards just trying to stay straight with the waves. And for a while, I was like, all right. And then on a couple waves, I almost lost it and tipped, and that's when I was starting to freak out because I looked behind me, and I still – Ryan tracked it. We had nine miles from where we were at all the way to the island. Mm-hmm. So I was just – that's as soon as I knew. I was like, oh, this is this is like real right now. Yeah. How long were you out there from from the time that things really started to go south to the point where the the rescue occurred, even though some of you did make it to shore? Um, well, from the time, like we were on the water at 11 in the morning and at 3 o'clock is about like roughly around there is when we turned and we're like, all right, bro, like let's just try to make it back. And then that's the last I'd seen of my buddies. Yeah. How far were you from each other? Do you have any estimate? Could you see even off on, in the distance? Um, For a while I could see them, but judging distances out there is really hard. Right. But then with me being able to go backwards, and it was really hard to see because if I was going down a wave and they were up on a wave farther out, like the waves are just blocking. So I have no idea. I had thought I thought they were way ahead of me because I couldn't. I'd try to turn around and it's, I'd just be cranking on it, paddling as hard as I could. And then it would just flip me back around. I was like, well, that was a good waste of my life. So. Yeah. When and how did you lose your kayak? So it was probably like an hour and a half before sundown. And uh, I had this. So the waves were all coming from one way, like they were just one big wave. But then all of a sudden the waves kind of started to split up because I'd feel the wind speed up. And when it sped up, I knew I was in trouble. And I felt the waves start to split up. And uh, 
I took a bunch of water in on my right side. And then every other wave, I kept going down my leg more and more. And I couldn't, I was like looking for something to bail it out, but I had nothing because I had to focus on keeping the front of my kayak towards the waves and steering. And then when I was looking down, I looked up and a wave hit and flipped me out of the water, into the water. And then I just kind of looked up and for a second, like I was just like, I didn't want to believe it. I was like, did I really just capsize? Cause I'm going to die. Wow. Wow. Was, was the kayak within reach or did it just get carried away? Yeah, it was in a, like I just said, it was more like I didn't get thrown from it. I just flipped over and it filled up with a lot of water. So right. I, I was just, I was holding on to it for a second while I was getting my tube. So how, how did you get the tube? You mentioned it was being dragged behind with stuff in it. Oh, so actually that, that trip, because it turns out, well, obviously it's simple. When you're dragging something behind you, it's a lot harder to kayak. Right. So we had taken it off and I had it in the side of my kayak. Oh, I see. And since the wind was getting really cold and I already had thought ahead, I was like, okay, if I tip, I need this tube. That's the only way I'm going to live. So I pulled it out and to try to block the wind, I'd kind of wrapped it around my shoulders. So the wind was hitting it instead of me. So when I fell, it was already on my shoulders. So I was like, I fell and I was like, all right, well, it's time to get serious. Like if I don't blow this up and make this happen, I'm going to die. Wow. The the, the thought of, of dying, I, I think, uh, depending on how realistic it is or not, there are points where you kind of, we're talking about this, it's easy to get into something, but getting out of something can be really, really tough. And everybody has that little moment where you're almost at a, a verge of panic and you think this, this really could be a deadly situation. What went through your mind at that point after the, the capsizing and you thought, okay, th- this is deadly serious? Well, I mean, it was weird. I kind of accepted the fact, like in my head, I was like, well... Like, if it's my time to go, I'm going to die here. But if it's not my time and I have stuff to still do, then I'm going to make it. So pretty much I just had that thought in my head, and I was like, at this point, freaking out is only hurting me, giving me anxiety. I was like, I just need to chill and not kick while I'm, like, riding through my tube. That's just going to lose energy. I was like, I just need to conserve energy and just wait it out and see if I live or see if I die. It was just kind of like playing a game. The Great Salt Lake is such a weird body of water because it is so buoyant. It is salty. and Unless you've ever waded out into the Great Salt Lake and had a few open little, you know, scratches and stuff on your leg, you have no concept of how much uh, salt is, is really in that water. So it's not so much of going under. It's just staying alive. What What was the biggest concern? Was it hypothermia? Was it just exhaustion? Uh, for me, hypothermia was it. I thought, because I told myself when I was out there, I was like, drowning's my biggest fear. I'm not going to drown. I don't care what I have to do. I'm not drowning. But hypothermia, I was like, if I die out here, which for a while I was convinced I was going to for most of the time, I was like, it's going to be hypothermia. My legs had locked up. The water was like, they said somewhere in the 60s, but 60 degree water and 60 That's degree cold. air feel a lot different. Yeah, that's cold. That That is cold. You know, whether you're just a water skier or whether you just do a little river running here and there, water, you know, if you're in it for a long period of time, your body temperature just naturally will, it has to, to come down. Walk us through the final stages then. How long were you in that situation? Out of kayak, worrying about your, your friends, I'm sure. Did, did they come to mind or were you just so focused on staying alive? Well, I had thought about them, but honestly, because I thought they were both going to make it because they had good kayaks. And so when I was going down, 
I was down farther and I it finally gotten dark and I looked up and I saw a bunch of lights. I was like, K.O., they're looking for me. But in my head, I thought Jacob and Ryan had both made it to the shore and I'm the only one. But they're looking on the beach and I'm still four miles out and I'm like, it's going to be a long night. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the water temperature. You mentioned the exhaustion. So how did you get to shore? Because you were actually, when when the helicopter was there and they were going to rescue you, you were actually dragging yourself up on the beach. Yeah. So for the first part, I had my pack and I had my body through my tube and I was leaning up forward and holding my pack and using it kind of like a pillow, just resting. And then eventually my pack was getting heavy. So I pushed it off. And then that's when you saw like in the video is how I was riding for like the last two hours, how I was just kneeling on my tube. It's kind of hard to tell. But I mean, mostly the main reason I'm here is prayers. Like there's no other explanation. Like I was in that water from like 5.30 and I walked up on the beach and they're like, start asking me questions. I was like, wait, first, what time is it? They're like, dude, it's one in the morning. Wow. I was like, are you kidding me? Like where did the, I I didn't. So we're talking almost eight hours. Yeah. That you were in the water. Maybe you can rewind really quickly. What was happening now that you've had a chance to compare notes? What were your friends? What was happening to them? So Ryan, my buddy, he had the best kayak and he knew we were going to be in trouble. So he just went as hard as he could, just grinding through it, grabbing his crock between waves and bailing water out of his kayak. He made it at 730 or seven and called for help. He's like, hey, my buddies are missing. It's bad. So they had tons of search and rescue crews come from all over to start looking. So at seven o'clock, so basically you were still in the water for almost, well, six hours more. Yeah, well, they were looking. So I'm thinking because Ryan made it so far, they didn't expect us to be as far out as we were because they were all looking. I know they had the National Guard there with like a patchy helicopter. They're all looking for us, just trying. But I was screaming. It doesn't really do much. Wow. What about your other friend? Uh, So Jacob, I've talked to him a little bit. I talked to him a little today. He was the one that if it wasn't for the search and rescue people, he would be dead. But I guess he fell out of his kayak somewhere around the same time I did. I know he was farther ahead than me, but I don't know where or what time. And uh, he was trying to blow up his tube and the wind blew it out of his hand. So he was stuck there. I guess he just told me today he had his tent in the bag he'd put it in, had air in it. So he was kind of holding it and just kind of like treading water and floating. Wow. So he was in pretty much the same boat as you. Is he the one that they actually rescued out of the water then? They tried to pick him up, but because of the wind or something, they weren't able to, so they sent a boat to him. I see. But, yeah. Well, thankfully, you know, you're here talking with us. I understand you uh, took a little excursion out to where all of this transpired, and you found some of your stuff? Yeah, today, uh, well, this morning, actually, I woke up, and my dad, he's like, hey, Weston, you want to go, like, look for your stuff? Because I told him, he's like, yeah, I'm uh, going into work late. So we went, and we picked up. The only thing I couldn't find was my hat and then my phone, which I was mad because I had so many good videos of all the waves and yeah, everything. I was yeah. so mad. But Yeah, you could have actually documented what you were looking at. Oh, I had it. I had yeah. it all. I was going to make a YouTube video before this happened just for fun. Wow. You know, you, your mom is actually here with us, and we hadn't planned on doing this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. And so let's uh, let's open Mrs. Weston's mic. And when did you find out that your son was so close to disaster? And what was your reaction? I got a phone call from Search and Rescue about 10 o'clock, and I was actually downtown. Um, I had been at a a choir 
rehearsal and recording. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the parking lot and I hadn't started my car yet, which was a blessing because my friends ended up driving me. So I was panicked from about 10 o'clock. I got home and met my husband and then we just flew out there. Um, But it was surreal. We just walked around. You know, we we can't believe this is really happening. And then we cried on and off. And um, but Weston was right. We attribute his survival to prayers because we had hundreds of people praying. And of course, we were praying um, that he'd be found. And so it was it was a traumatic, terrifying few hours for us. Well, I can't thank you both enough. And I called you Mrs. Weston, but obviously Mrs. Barnett. Thank you for joining us and I, thank you. I appreciate your comments and Weston we're glad you're with us yeah thanks it's it's nice to still be here call me on your next adventure and let me approve it okay all right um, <laughs> all I'll right. probably need your number so yeah, yeah that's right I'll let you know you might get a couple texts in the next weeks let's take a break and we'll come back with more of inside sources here at KSL news radio I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.